They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Hello and welcome to the show. If you're enjoying it and want an ad-free experience, consider signing up for the Patreon, patreon.com slash the101podcast get early access and exclusive content on there as well for less than the cost of a cup of coffee links to ways of supporting the show are in the description thank you so much for listening and enjoy this episode welcome to the one-on-one podcast with your host Juan Ayala Book of Enoch and Sophia were just found within uh, maybe 10, 15 years of each other, something like that. Yeah, both in the early 1700s. The weirdest part about those is they're both in dead languages. So you, you said it, but the Book of Enoch is in Ethiopian. It's in ancient Ethiopian, which nobody speaks. Definitely nobody can translate into English at the time it was found. And same thing with Sophia. Nobody could translate Coptic into English because it's dead. Some people may have understood it, but they definitely couldn't translate. And it was decades before they could translate them in the 1800s. But this is where it's interesting, is that the secret societies, like the Masons, Rosicrucians, and so on, their societies started showing signs in their rites and rituals and practices and symbols that they understood what was in those texts. So the texts were found and they were put on display in England, in museums, both of them, Book of Enoch and Sophia. And then before they're translated, in the secret societies we see, you know, this is 1700s, so think George Washington, Freemasons of America, how, how Egyptian they were. And they started taking on aspects of things that were in these texts when the text hadn't been translated. So it, it raises the question, Welcome back to another episode. <laughs> you laughing already, bro? Come on, dude. I messed it up my intro, bro. Uh, messing up the vibe. Welcome back to another episode of the One on One Podcast. And today we have a scholar with us. We have a very well-read individual. Not, not a first timer on the One on One Podcast. And you, you, some of you may know his brother. His brother is a local celebrity. And these two gentlemen, there, there's something else. Today we're joined by Professor Longo. Mm-hmm. What's up, dude? What's going on, man? How you doing? Doing all right. Before we get into it, let me plug some stuff that I forgot to plug yet. Make sure to get the Occultist Monday on my website, the 101podcast.com. Oh, yeah. Make sure to get the 
Chosen Juan versus the Saturnian Cube comic book for 333 on my website, the Juan on Podcast.com. And also make sure to sign up for the Kickstarter for issue two that's coming out very soon. We're in the final stages as of this recording, and we will be plugging that on the social media. It'll be in the description, so make sure to sign up for the Kickstarter to support the show. Patreon.com slash the one one podcast exclusive content of our 100 exclusive episodes only found on there. And we're dropping some fire on there. We're mm. dropping some bombs with Hell Donut yeah. and the guys. So it's good, all good in the hood. And take it away, Professor Longo. What What do you want to tell the people about yourself, dude? What What? Oh, man, I don't know. It's tough. I, I can be difficult to categorize, I guess. I don't really have any kind of uh, spiel or agenda or anything like that. But I own a bookstore and run a bookstore with my older brother. Um, yeah, I f- sort of consider myself an investor first and foremost, uh, like in the stock market, cryptocurrencies, things like that. I've been doing it for a long time. Uh, which is how I got the bookstore. Uh, the bookstore is itself a sort of investment. Um, so yeah, that's about it, I guess. What are your thoughts? A... What are your thoughts on having to compete with the likes of Amazon? And and how do you mm-hmm. feel about him starting off selling books first, and then from that <laughs> to launching phalluses into outer space and trying to conquer <laughs> the universe? That's funny. Oh, it's sorry. Someone You're just good. walked in. Hi. Uh, no, we're not open. You're not open. No, I'm sorry. Okay, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> got people trying to come in in the store while doing a podcast. It's all good, though. This is real life, people. This is unedited, raw, because I don't edit a lot of stuff out. Uh, I've edited a couple stuff out. I haven't posted some episodes. Yeah. But Side door unlocked. It's all good. All right, here we are. Anyways, all right. So back to the question. I'm writing down some timestamps here. So we have Jeff Bezos that was doing. First, he started off with books, right? And there's this theory that I have: the people that people of antiquity, all the most powerful lizard people, Mm. had the biggest libraries. So I think that the way that Jeff Bezos was able to become this wizard alchemist right because money any exchange of energy exchange of money I mean, we might talk about the stock market and crypto sure, today sure. any exchange of that uh, it's it's back linked back to alchemy it's a transference it's a transmutation yeah. of energy what are your yeah. thoughts on him starting off as this bookseller amazon yeah. and then transitioning to trying to push the new world order or something yeah no he definitely went from a sort of humble beginnings you know just slinging books trying to make a buck or whatever and into like full-on world domination so uh it's it's an interesting story i mean i I don't know it's it definitely it it seems like at some point i don't know where in his timeline but it seems like he was corrupted at some point because what he was doing in the beginning um was pretty genuinely good service by by all means, you know, I don't think anyone could really argue that, you know, sourcing from uh, local bookstores and things like that, uh, just find you whatever book you needed. They weren't avail- available online in that fashion. Uh, and then he just went on and on and on and just compounding this huge 
machine uh, at some point in there. I don't know if it's when he went into other services or whatever it was, but he just became this disgusting thing, you know, what it's a hairless creature, kind of like Rockefeller was. A homunculus. Well. It's okay to say yeah. homunculus. He was a homunculus. <laughs> uh, he's a full-size. Uh, and Rockefeller, same thing, was, was hairless and this sort of creature. Um, you know, I, I sure hope that my bookstore doesn't turn into Amazon. Uh, I, and I honestly don't see us in in competition with Amazon. Uh, we can't compete with Amazon. It's impossible, like in terms of pricing. Uh, but we can, which is sort of the new thing in small business. It's, it's called experiential retail. So it's all about the experience. It's not about having the best price. Uh, it's about giving people a environment and aesthetic, uh, some sort of experience that they that they're looking for. Uh, and the products are somewhat secondary. I wouldn't say they're entirely secondary. Um, and then you know we just have our niche. So we have things that are out of print, uh, cult stuff, esoteric stuff, first editions, uh, things you just don't normally find uh, that aren't available on Amazon at all you know because they primarily do new books so that's how we kind of get by with it but and and then even on their books they're they're evil because on their books they will lose money and on many of their products they're losing money like they will send you something just so you're happy they don't care if they lose like a few dollars on it Uh, because most of the money they make is off their cloud services and their um software that they sell to like big companies and things like that that's where most of the cash comes from and then the products are just to get you hooked you you are the product when it comes to companies like that right yeah yeah they just want to get you stuff in return for your data and your Mm -hmm. your spending habits and your address and email phone number all that gets you on the subscription too yeah um you know what you're watching on tv i mean they have everything now uh yeah, they they sell stuff. It's pretty scary. Like, there's one one book that's Quentin Tarantino just wrote a book uh, on like cinema and all that. And what that I, dude's a wizard. Yeah. yeah, he's a wizard for sure. And he his book. What's the name cool. of it? Oh, God, I think it's called On Cinema. It's like a big orange book. I have it in the store here, uh, but I can tell you, you know, just being straightforward at wholesale it's it's a nice hardcover so it's like a, i don't know 30 dollar book 35 dollar book or something it's not cheap and at wholesale from the publisher it costs 21 dollars. and when i looked it up on amazon they were selling it it was on sale but they had it for 21 dollars with free overnight shipping so they're literally giving it to the end customer at the same price that it costs a bookstore to buy it wholesale and they're giving you free overnight shipping and like the wholesalers we're getting it from aren't even giving us that you know what i mean so they're losing on on the book they're losing money but they just want to get you the book they don't care you know so we have this book here by because i call them cinemagicians and i mean who else and Quentin Tarantino, and I've watched a lot of his movies, but Cinema Speculation, 2022 nonfiction book by American filmmaker. 
published by Harper on November 1st. It just came out. Yeah. Yeah, it working. just came out. Yeah. Film criticism and film theory. A yeah. feat of reporting and wonderful personal history. The book is a collection of essays organized around key American films from 19 the 1970s, which Tarantino saw in his youth. It was inspired by the film writing of critic critic Pauline Kate. So interesting. Hmm. Yeah. And I was reading I wasn't reading, I was listening to the audiobook. I usually don't listen to audiobooks because I don't feel like I tune in. Well, remember like any of it. Yes. Yeah, because That's what I find too. Well, it's what you're talking about, right? The experience of being there, of looking, of smelling the air. That's all being stripped away. And I think there's something much deeper going on when it comes to these. Look at the movie Idiocracy, I think it's the name of it, where it's the Costco right. is taking over. Well, if you look, that's eerily similar to yeah. Amazon, where they're yeah. building Amazons in the middle of these ghettos. And right. I think that I, I in this, so I was reading the glass bead game and or listening to it. And he said that fiction at the very beginning, he said fiction is, I think, another dimension of reality or something or of this mm -hmm. world. Right. And I think of it like that when I'm reading when I'm reading yeah. a fictional book or I'm watching a movie. So we're talking about cinema. I think right. about all these things. I think about yeah. how art imitates life, right? Yeah. And this is yeah. art. And I think art sure. is magic. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. Uh, and I, the writer Jorge Luis Borges, fascinating guy. Um, he's Argentinian. He's kind of like their literary hero down there. And he was an interesting guy in how he viewed fiction because he famously said that fiction is more true than nonfiction. And his philosophy behind that was that he believed what we're seeing as reality in the world is uh, illusory. So it's an illusion of some kind. And Therefore, anything like facts, uh, um, physics and science and all of these things, which are perpetuating and describing that illusion, are lies. And fiction, which operates outside of the limits of the illusion, like uh, space and time and, and so on. Whoa, I and, love that. And, and physics because fiction doesn't operate on under any of those constraints is actually a more true than the things which are perpetuating delusion, like nonfiction. Uh, and that, that was his view. So it's sort of a transcendental type thing. Yeah. I never, cool. I never really understood it like that. And you're talking about the author of the glass bead game. Um, I don't know. I forget his I name. Who, no, I don't know who wrote that, but I'm talking about Jorge Luis Borges. His last name is B-O-R-G-E-S. Um, you would like him, though. He writes short stories. Um, <clears throat> mostly, a lot of them are Kabbalistic. They deal with labyrinths a lot. Oh, okay, okay, um, I see him here. He's sort of obsessed with labyrinths and um, the mystical and the dream world and things like that. So uh, I never that, heard that was his take, though. Yeah, he's really, he's really good. You should check him out. Which... Book is he most famous for? Is it Fictions, 1944? Yeah. yeah, that's his most famous. 
Oh, did he write the Library of Babel? Is this the guy that wrote he that? He did. Book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. He wrote the Library of Babel. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, and, uh, yes. I know exactly yeah. who this guy is. I've, I've <clears throat> ran into him before because of that story yeah. of the Library of Babel is really interesting. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he has a lot of very like paradoxical um, sort of, I don't know, like mind, mind-bending stories, you know? Um, things that are very ironic and, and things like that. But yeah, that was his take, was that fiction is more true than nonfiction because it didn't operate under the constraints of the illusion of, of reality. I mean, I know, I think you like to call it the matrix or whatever, but you know, well, something like that. Uh, it, op- fiction operates outside of all of that. It's mm-hmm. transcendental. It, it's closer to some kind of source. I, I call it that because I think that's what people relate to the most. You know, if, yeah. if I think everybody's at one point heard of, of the matrix or dark city and sure. these these cerebral movies where I think that it goes back to Joseph Campbell and the hero, you know, the, the hero's journey where that talks to us on so many levels. And it talks to us because I think it goes back to our ancestral roots. And I think that information I've talked about on the show before is passed down genetically. Fears are passed down genetically. Anything is really it's stored in the I think that the that the Akashic records is our DNA. All these things that we hear about are our DNA and and people are able to somehow tap into like you have a a Manly P. Hall Mm. type of guy that unbelievable. Yeah, they're able to do they're able to construct (laughs) these crazy mind palaces and the way that they're able to weave in and out of them is Mm -hmm. is amazing. And that's what really makes me want to up my game whenever I'm like learning about something. And what what would you say about because last time we were we were at the store we were talking about the phenomenology, right? Where it's sure. what's true to you, that experience is real to you. And that that yeah. could be for anything in life. It could be a Bigfoot encounter, it could be a UFO encounter, it could be whatever. As long yeah. as it happened to you, it's it's real to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the paradigm that we live in now is very much backwards because we're sort of taught rationally to think that whatever can be, that whatever is objective and can be stripped from our shared realities is, is what's true. Um, when in reality, those are very abstract, you know, sort of abstract concepts. Uh, it's very, very much mental. Um, and conceptual, whereas your experience is uh, intuitive. So it's, it's firsthand, you know, and one of the, you know, a lot of, I think we talked about this last time too, with Rene Descartes and, and dualism, uh, where that all stems from. That's sort of where our, our whole world starts uh, forking, you know, into like this super scientific, super rational, skeptical, um, mindset but the interesting thing about this uh, about about uh, the Cartesian philosophy is there seems to be a hole in it because his whole thing is cohito uh, ergo sum I think therefore I am which is the cornerstone uh, of his worldview you know he was searching for some kind of uh, solid bedrock, cornerstone of which to build 
the rest of his phenomenology from. And he thought that the only thing that you can uh, prove or that you can't disprove um, was yourself, the fact that you're thinking, you know. And but the the thing that's interesting about that is that's not necessarily that's not objective, right? Because you can't prove that I'm that I'm thinking. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it, the cornerstone itself we're, is we're part is of intuitive. We're part of each other's unreality. So yeah, I can't yeah. prove that you're a thinking thing. And that's that I, I've talked about this before because I love Cartesian yeah. philosophy. Yeah. And the idea of the Boltzmann's brain, like these thought mm-hmm. experiments of yeah. what if you are, and a lot of people don't like that idea of de- dehumanizing somebody, because if you call somebody sure. an NPC or a construct of some yeah. sorts, it starts, yeah. it, it, I could see where it could be dehumanizing, but it's, it's yeah. a, it is a, I don't know how to put it, but again, it's a philosophical dilemma that we're facing because you, yeah essentially you can't prove, you know, the only thing right. that you can prove is that you're a, you're a thinking thing and right. your senses can't even be trusted. Yeah. So, and, and you know, one of the definitions of mysticism is, um, an emphasis on experience, you know, a, an emphasis, mis, mysticism would be defined by me as, um, a system which, which ends, which has an end goal of experience of the divine, basically of, of union with God, um, direct experience. That's a mystical system. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people are seeking out these systems, um, whether it's through a society or individual practices, because there's not an emphasis on experience anymore. Yeah, there's not. And that's why that's how we get, Amazon, we get all yeah. these where it's just a click of a button. And yeah, I don't know if that's a push towards this transhumanist agenda or this Black Mirror-esque world where everything is just you consume, yeah. consume, consume, consume. We're yeah. faced with Black Friday. And then right after that, you have Cyber Monday and you yeah. have all these things. <laughs> Oh wait, you forgot about a small business Saturday. Small, well, that, see, that's overlooked. Yeah. You know, yeah, what I'm saying they, they they want to eliminate those people because they're like, hey, yeah, you know. Well, what I mean? and in, and in uh, direct experience too is so important. Um, I mean, one because it teaches you to sort of think for yourself and be independent, which they definitely don't want. Um, but then two is that in direct experience, there is an actual true and false. You see, because you either experienced it or you didn't, right? It was either hot or it wasn't, you you know, you either saw it or you didn't. Like you said, whether it's a cryptid, UFO, or it's just your everyday life, you know, there is a actual true or false. There's not like this big, long scale of opinion, you know, which is what they want. They want everything to be up conjecture, you know, up for up for debate, you know, you know, maybe it was this. And it's like, you know, if, if your emphasis is on experience you sort of, I don't set yourself up for success really, because you have, um, you know, parameters that you're working within, you know, something's mm-hmm. true or it's not. Yeah. And it, which is weird because people think that experience is so subjective, you know, it's so, um, speculative, um, which is the complete opposite. So it's very much paradoxical. 
Yeah, and, and we're in a world right now that if right, for example, the identity politics where how you're saying they want to make everything up for interpretation. Well, where do you, where do you draw the line? If right. you can't come to to yeah. an agreement on whatever XYZ is because it's up for interpretation or you feel this way one day and you feel another way the next day, well, yeah. where does it stop? Where do you yeah, draw the line? Exactly. That's they don't want lines. They just want you know, some big long spectrum of conjecture, no true or false. Everyone's just spinning in circles, you know. They don't know what to think. They're so that that's what I think. If if you're relying on your own experience, you know. You know, you you intuitively know. You know, like Descartes, you know, I think therefore I am. You just you know. You don't have to explain it. Um but it's you know, it's it's tricky that <laughs> they definitely want the emphasis on objectivity, science, um, rationalism, and sort of group thought, like you said, and post-structuralism, which is, uh, you know, everything's a social construct and all of that. What's the saying, order out of chaos? How do you, what's the ordo ab cow? Is that how you say it? I have no idea. So order, I think it's, it, it relates to this idea of order out of chaos. And yeah. it says order exists within chaos as chaos exists within order. You can create order three, never ending struggle to find balance with chaos. You cannot yeah. completely remove chaos from your life. So don't waste time trying rather aim for the middle path of balance between order and chaos. Sure. Sure. That's sure. interesting. Yeah. They have a, uh, you know, Jordan Peterson, his book mm -hmm. is 12 rules for life. And the subtitle is an antidote to chaos. But what's interesting, and it's a white book, the interesting thing is the second book. What does that mean, a white book? Oh, it's literally white. Colored. Oh, like the whole thing. Uh, and the what's second one's black. black. Oh. It's, uh, it's called uh, Beyond Order. And so he's talking about what you're talking about, um, that you can't just have one, right? He couldn't just write The Antidote to Chaos, which is that typical, you know, clean your room type spiel that he has. Um, without dealing with order you know because both can be good and bad uh, you have to be able to live with both because there are people who deal with too much chaos in their life you know they're unorganized um, they have no idea where they're going they have no direction you know their room is just clothes all over the floor their whole life's a mess but then they're on the flip side in an equally bad position are people who have too much order in their life they're ocd you know, they're crazy. There's people who, you know, have to check the stove 20 times to make sure they turned it off and wash their hands 30 times a day. And, you know, and it's like they're both in a sort of hell. Um, so neither one is is better, I would think. You definitely have to straddle both, which is music. You know, music is uh, a dramatized version of that, that story. It, it is a, it is, it has a lot of order to it. Um, it could be mathematical even and notated, but it's also very chaotic. You know, it's sort of, especially when there's, you know, solo or something like that, someone's improvising, they're straddling that line. They're walking a tightrope between order and chaos. And that's, that's probably why it appeals to us so much. That's what I like about podcasting because right now this is unscripted. We're going yeah. with the flow, seeing where the conversation goes and right. it could literally go anywhere. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and back to this order out of chaos thing was well, like 
they say that walking is what a controlled fall. I think that's like the actual okay. <laughs> def- definition of of walking. So yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I think that I'm the type of person I need structure and it sure. depends on, on what. So I do, although my, my background looks cluttered, all my stuff is yeah. is very organized. And that's one of the things my wife really gets on my case about because I am so OCD. If I line something yeah. up, it needs to be lined up with the edge of whatever yeah. it is so it's straight. Right. And, and, you know, that I think in our society that we, we place a great emphasis on order. Uh, we admire people who are organized and, you know, like you said, it, things are straight, straightened up. But what, what people don't realize is, and not that there's anything wrong with it, is that that can stunt you as well. So it can make you not be creative, you know, not be artistic because you're sort of overthinking, you know, you can't free yourself up, you can't make mistakes. Um, that sort of thing. So order and chaos are both good and bad. You know, it's, it's totally the yin and yang thing. Um, yeah, dude, I, I never thought about it like that because if you confine yourself to one box, if you confine yeah. yourself to that cube, then you're right. Th- that's the whole saying, think outside the box. And if you don't, right. if you don't push yourself to be uncomfortable, like for example, myself and doing live shows, well, if I never do the live shows, I'm not right. going to step out of my yeah. comfort zone yeah, to be yeah. able to do it. So, and for someone who, you know, considers himself sort of OCD, doing something live is probably a big task for you. You know, whereas other people who are super laid back, it's it's easy for them. But doing things that are structured is much more difficult. Uh, so, I think it's a constant struggle for everyone. Is <laughs> sort of straddling that line, you know, between like a organizer and artist. Uh, to me, it's it's an anxiety thing. But the, but the problem is that it doesn't matter if people are watching and reacting real time because people are still going to listen to it anyways after the fact. Even more people after the fact are going to listen to it. And they right. could still react either on YouTube or Rockfin or yeah. send me a message on Instagram and tell me I'm a fucking idiot or whatever the que- yeah. whatever the do people do people do that? No, not I no, haven't gotten any anything like that. Wow. Yeah. except they roast me on old world florida's page though they roast me on oh, there yeah, yeah. somebody said i need to eat a snickers yeah. so i don't know what that means but yeah, it's, it's it's the i don't care what people think i mean it's not nothing like that yeah. but it's just um to, to be 100 percent, bro i'm not a very social person i'm very really yeah, I'm the typical Herman. I'm very introverted, and it's weird because my son is like super extroverted. Wants to say hi to everybody, and having kids, dude, forces you to interact with people. Yeah, so, it has to be social and all <laughs> yeah. that. You have to go to the birthday parties and all this stuff, and it's yeah. like, oh, I got to interact with people. But usually, the parents are cool, right? So, yeah. and what happens is when you go to these birthday parties from the school, it's usually the same kids, so you meet the same parents at those parties, so you'll you'll catch yeah, up yeah. on the next one, right? Yeah, you feel better each time, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, but that's yeah. me. I've never been a big social person. Of of yeah. you know, I'm not gonna strike up a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? I hate small talk, dude. Yeah. It's like I, I'm a I'm, I don't know if I'm introverted or extroverted, but I'm a notorious politician. So I'm sort of known by my brother my girlfriend and my friends as being sort of like a fence sitter. Um, I never have issues with people. Like I'm never in arguments. You're a pushover, bro? <laughs> not a, no, not a pushover. I just sort of like 
politically manage the, the situation to where I'm like not um, into it with anyone. Uh, I can like mediate between two friends and things like that. So that's sort of my role. Is, Are you a Taurus, dude? I just no, I'm a Pisces. Uh, but I just get along with everyone for, I don't know why. Yeah. I, I don't know what a Pisces is. I mean, Dr. Pisces Narco is, Longo would know. Uh, yeah, that's like February 21st-ish, depending on the year, um, to March 21st. Uh, and it's the last sign of the Zodiac. Mm. Uh, it's a water sign. It is the two fish. This is the symbol for it. It's ruled by Jupiter and has a co-rulership with neptune um so it's very watery uh very dreamy um mystical manly p hall is pisces rudolph steiner was a pisces oh nice um yeah so there's i mean people think jesus is more or less uh piscean you know whether or not he was a pisces like by yeah. birth is sort of irrelevant but you know like the, his whole energy uh the piscean age and all of that so it's it's a it's an interesting sign they're sort of known for being um emotional you know softies super emotional um daydreamers big time i'm a daydreamer i'm like uh in the clouds like nine out of ten times i'm walking around just i'm uh, you know i think a lot basically you ever I'm done very... astral projection or anything bro mm no i haven't actually i've never experimented with it I, and the thing is things like that that are sort of not grounding are probably not what i need because i'm already not grounded you know <laughs> what i mean so a lot of like uh recreational drugs and things like that um that i've experimented with <laughs> that sort of take you into those type of states they've been fine you know i've never had any issues but there's been some of them where i'm like okay i probably don't need this because i'm already mm -hmm. floating around in the world um so yeah i don't haven't tried astral projection though i'm sure it's, i'm sure it's fun for the longest time i haven't had it in a, in a while but for the longest time i was having a lot of sleep paralysis really for yeah for a long time i've, I've had yeah. it since i was a kid and yeah usually you do it i've talked to a few people who've had it and they all had it when they were children and, I mean, it ha it was happening as of probably like a year ago, I want to say, and it hasn't really? happened in a long time, but I would have the, I had, I had gotten it so many times that I was able to snap out of it quickly. I was wow. able to snap, you know, snap myself out of it and I, I would never see anything. I never saw anything except for one time the day before going to Coral Castle where I thought I saw what looked like. I promise you, like a small alien gray. Like, I promise you. It was really? the day before. It was like 3 in the morning. Wow. But you know when things, when you're sleeping in your room and things look, they morph into things. Sure. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, the, the darkness, you, that shadow, that coat that you put on that chair looks like somebody's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Right. So, I had just finished going to sleep. And I woke up and I was in an episode of sleep paralysis and I, and I don't see the shadow people. I don't see the, and I feel a sense of dread, like something's watching me, but I've never seen yeah. anything except for this one time. And it was the fan right by the, the bed. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I couldn't move. And as soon as I opened my eyes, I looked and it looked like this small alien gray. And then as soon as I snapped out of it, it just disappeared. And I was like, Oh, that was crazy. But again, there's something about me being in, People so. keep trying. Sorry to cut you off. People <laughs> keep trying to open the door. It's so annoying. 
You're good, dude. There's there's something about about me being this was in Florida in South Florida, Miami. Yeah. There's something I think it's the 29th parallel or one of those parallels. There's something about me being near that parallel that just dude, it makes really? it makes me feel like dra- it drains my energy. I feel so mm. weird. It like repels me. I hate being there. It depresses me. Like I don't know. How, like how south do you mean? So Homestead. if you're in Palm Beach? Homestead. Uh, yeah, you mean like all the way down. Yeah. 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 I understand. I don't know yeah. what it what it is about it, dude, but I just cannot stand being there and that's where coral castle is and you have that whole lore of of that how he built that but it's something about being next to that parallel that just throws me off and it always has and i your brother posted this thing on his instagram the other day about a ufo well i saw what i chalked it up to it being a bird i was like oh look something just dove behind the trees over there (laughs) That, yeah. that I was a bird. And then your brother posted that picture of some UFOs in Homestead. I was in Homestead yeah. when wow. I saw it. That And I it was the weekend I had told your brother I was going down. And I walked out of the out of my wife's friend's house. And I looked at the horizon. And boom, dude, I saw it. It was just clear as day. Just like, and I was like, wow. That looked like some, like a ball. It looked like a ball. But I was like, yeah, it was probably a bird or, or something else. We're next to a military base. So, yeah. Who knows? Well, do you know um, you know about Crestfield Elementary? No, here in Florida. Yeah, so it's in uh, it's actually in Opelika. Oh, which I, know, I know we've talked about before, <laughs> um, but I won't get into all that history. But Crestview was in I believe it was in the nineteen seventies. Um, it's one of the most compelling UFO sightings in history. Uh, Basically, what happened was these kids were out to recess, and they got called back in, and, uh, you know, whether it's dramatized or not, I don't know, but one of the last kids coming in, and the teacher that was calling them in looked up and saw a humongous craft in the sky hanging over over the school, and they freaked out. But the teacher is like, oh, you know, it's kind of like what you said. Oh, you know, there's a base nearby, you know, whatever, go back to class. And the next day at the same time during recess, I believe it was three crafts came down and put on like a full on air show, like tricks. They're like coming by like right over the trees. I mean, this is like right over the school. And uh, like the articles you're pulling up, the whole school saw it. I mean, we're talking people that are still alive, first of all, um, kids that are, you know, five years old, all the way up to like middle school age, you know, when you're 12 or 13 years old, you can't, you know what you're seeing, you know, you're not that young. And the staff, the teachers saw it as well. Um, and everyone had the same account. So it's, then that was sort of in that same area, you know, Miami-Dade. So there's no shortage of UFOs in, in, in homestead in miami and you know where, where you experienced one well yeah that and, and when you go to to coral castle he's got that little alien face in the stone right next to the seat yeah. or whatever he looks like an alien and he straight up straight up dude a homunculus like five yep. foot yeah. four ten or something so yeah. you said that it isn't florida ruled by pisces as well the fish yeah yeah and yeah it is i've heard that so the the zodiac is 
a pathway for like the soul right and they say that it, it enters through the first sign which again i don't know astrology that's yeah, why i yeah. talked to your brother but yeah. it goes in through the first sign and exits out of the last sign which is pisces yeah. and yeah. i've heard people say that florida is best for manifestation i've yeah. heard that and i've also yeah. heard that people believe that people in florida are in another dimension <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious well they're also like you said it's the path of the soul you know, to death. And this is where people go to die. You know, they go, they come to Florida, they retire, uh, and they die here. And it is ruled by the last sign. So they're sort of on their way out, like you said. And you said it has a yeah. co-house with Jupiter. We have Jupiter, Florida. So hear me out, dude. So I have yeah. this thing that I've and been Neptune. Working. So it's Jupiter and Neptune, rural Pisces. And we have a Neptune beach also. I have this theory that I've been working on because I think it goes back to the chariot card with Crowley. It's sure. the full metal alchemist that they're transmuting reality in real time. Sure. Well, check it out. So I think that the locomotive is associated with alchemy because if you think about the locomotive, what's happening and look at the robber barons that founded Florida. You have Henry Flagler, Henry Plant. Well, if you understand the locomotive, it's an alchemical process that's happening within the locomotive exchange of energy so taking the coal and burning it to create other energy to have this this full metal thing going and if you read the story of didalis and you understand that the whole connection with almada and all this stuff and the automata and how they enchant these pieces of metal these are these suits of armor in order to warp people's perceptions talismanic yes so i think that if you look at florida you can think of it as an alchemical flask because what happens people come in and they are are processed they go through an alchemical exchange and they are processed to that next level of existence which is death and i have a buddy of mine who he does this thing called tarot and florida he associates it with the death card yeah, coincidental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I could, yeah, I could see that. Um, and what's funny is to sort of connect the two things. Uh, we have the cities, so you have Jupiter, and which is funny because right under Jupiter, you have uh, Juno Beach, and then right above Jupiter, you have Hobe Sound, and Hobe is also Jupiter. Um, and then in Florida, you have. Uh, venus i believe which exalts in pisces and then you have neptune beach so it has all the cities um that rule pisces uh, or sorry all the planets that rule pisces are cities in florida and then you could look this up in the early 1900s to connect all of this together there was something called the celestial railroad and it was like a sort of a tourist type thing that would hit all these cities um, named after planets and they would take this, you know, full metal alchemy steam engine and chariot. Go around, yeah, chariot and, <laughs> and ride around to all the Whoa, dude. Isn't that crazy, dude? Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Juno, Rira, Lake Worth, yeah. Hope Sound. Yeah, I'm in Lake Worth right now, so it's going right for me. Dude, what? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that was their... Uh, alchemical flask there's a mars florida there used to be there's not anymore which is probably and mars rules the death card too um so 
uh, like your friend said. Of course, Henry Flagler built a segment of his Florida East Coast Railway just west of the Celestial Railroad in 1894 to Mm -hmm. avoid the high shipping costs. By 1896, the Celestial Railroad was out of business. Huh. Interesting. I had a a guy in here just going back a bit to to the sleep paralysis. I was just thinking, I didn't know you had that. Uh, I had a guy in here in the store and, you know, we get all kinds of interesting mm-hmm. critters coming in uh, when you're dealing with this type of stuff. <laughs> and this guy, he, he's uh, he's a hermeticist, and he came in uh, super knowledgeable. I mean, knowledgeable enough to where, like, he might even give talks in the store on it and stuff. Um, and he came in, and he told me that he had sleep paralysis, too. And he said he's had it his whole life. And he told me all these scary stories. He does see stuff. Um, he does hear things through his audio and visual uh, hallucinations. And he said, he, you know, his little kids banging on his door. You know, uh, sounds like someone throws a brick at the house and runs away. Uh, and then he had, but this was his take, which was interesting. And I want to know what you think about this because he said it actually seems like the state that you're in that like half dream half waking state it seems like they don't want you in that state it seems like whatever these things are you know in your mind or outside of your mind are doing whatever they can to wake you up and i thought that was really interesting he thought maybe there's something special about that borderline state that they don't want you you know what i'm trying to say that they're actually trying they're mad that you're in it you know, and they're like, hey, like, wake up, you know, get out of this, you don't belong here type thing. And he, he, he said he's been struggling with that, um, that idea. You know what I mean? Because it's almost like he doesn't want to wake up. He's like, you know, what happens if I just stick in this? Well, so the other day, and by the other day, I mean, like some months back, I had a waking dream. So, I haven't had sleep paralysis for a while. And the other day I had a waking dream. So I remember sitting on the side of the bed. And I sat down, collected my thoughts before getting up. And then I remember just getting back up again. It was like I got back up again. And I remember sometimes I I literally just woke up. So I had a waking dream. Wow. And I think the problem with this whole astral projection thing, because I've talked to people about it, I've tried to do it. I did this technique and I forgot. I, your brother told me it was Freemasonic. It was. What, what, what was the technique? Yoga. He said it was like yoga related, Freemasonic, whatever. Yeah. And the technique that I was doing was, it's, it sounds really weird. I promise you, it sounds really weird. But it's this technique too, because when I smoke, I don't remember my dreams and I was sober for a few months and I was finally recollect. I was able to remember. I was able to dream. I wasn't dreaming. And this technique, I forgot where I found it. I think I found it online somewhere. It's you have to lay down and you imagine it sounds it's called the skull fuck method. It's it's really weird. And what you do is you imagine a blue ethereal phallus going up through your legs right and it, as it comes up through your body you're laying there in the 
The, I promise you, bro. This hear me out because it works. It works. I don't know where you learned this one, man. Yeah, it works. I promise. You, you know yeah. how it is, dude. You're reading all these occult books yeah. and stuff like that. You go, oh, that sounds yeah. easy. So let me try. So you're laying there, death man pose, right? You're laying on your back, and you imagine yeah. this phallus going up through your legs. And as it's coming up, it's a blue phallus. You imagine it lighting, illuminating your entire body as it comes up. And the phallus is going to enter itself into the base of your skull. So imagine it going into your skull, hence the skull fuck method. And you do that, right? You imagine it's a, it's a form of meditation, whatever. I, I just did it just because I thought it was funny. Yeah. And I shit you not, bro. If I could remember my dreams to the T, like to wow. the, the, to, bro, it was the wildest thing. I could remember the dream from the very beginning to the very end. So what I think is going on, because I know people who have done astral projection, and I'll send you the gateway experience tapes the Robert Monroe, where they tried to, it, it's yeah. hemispheric synchronization. No, I, yeah, I know the hemisync stuff. Yeah. Monroe Institute, yeah. What I think is happening, because I've heard this before, dude, I have, I've had occultists on the show that have told me about how there is an asteroid, there is this other dimension. Now, when you read the Picatrix and you read these, uh, all these occult books, right, these grimoires, they talk about how you're able to astral project, and, but you need to call forth a watcher to watch sure. your body yeah. while you're out doing these activities. So yeah. there's a dangerous aspect to it. And what right. I think happens is I've had a cultist tell me that they've seen political figures in the astral realm that are guarded by other like astral bodyguards. Like wow. they, they are in there and then they, they, again, this is what somebody yeah. told me. They said they've seen dinosaurs in the astral realm, Bigfoot, yeah. aliens, all these type of things. And again, it's another. Yeah. Yeah. The, exactly. The boys. Yeah. They're hanging out boys, in, in the astral realm. But yeah. the, the guy was dead serious, bro. The guy was like 100% serious. About it, and yeah. I believe him because he's into the whole, the whole cult stuff. And yeah. he says that it's another realm. So I think the reason yeah. that they want you out is because it's, again, you can do things you wouldn't normally it's it's the og metaverse bro it's right, the og yeah. metaverse where you're able to yeah. tap in and you're able to yeah. like be like a metatron affect re alchemy affect reality from the outside yeah. boom 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 go back into your body and you've affected whatever it was xyz yeah. so it's a cheat code to magic you know um, pythagoras you, pythagoras you said that yeah. all is number and what I think he meant by that is that it's a, a sort of binary code. And if it's a binary code, it's a simula it's a s sort of program that's being run yeah. as reality. And there's a thing called synesthesia, bro, where people see yeah. numbers. Yeah. So they see constructs. They yeah. see constructs. There's already, there's already sacred geometry and all yes. that. Yes. Yes. Um, and there's definitely pattern to nature um, and to man, it seems like. Uh, do, do you have the... Complete Golden Dawn System of Magic by Israel Regardi. I have the I have one of his books. I started reading it. I know somebody who so this is gonna sound weird too. So I'm in a <laughs> I'm in a so there's a red phallus this time. What? No, I'm just joking. Oh no no no. So this is gonna sound weird. There I've I've visited, I'm not I guess I, I'm part of it. Whatever. Who cares? I'm part of a mystery school in VR. Okay. Oh, you told me about that. Yeah, I told you about it. And they have a whole Golden Dawn nice. virtual 
ceremony room that I visited. I didn't do a ritual. I visited it. And the founder of the VR Mystery School, he is self-initiated into the Golden Dawn. And they have the whole... Almost, it looks like the tomb of Christian Rosencruz type of thing, where they wow. go in there, dude. It's crazy. It's the craziest That's thing. So, so cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. People are using these virtual realities to augment their magical powers. Now, it's technomancy, right? So, if you're able to do that in a virtual reality setting, then you're able to do it in an astral realm, right? right. From the comfort of your own home, and you're able to do whatever it is that you do in these magical settings to achieve whatever it is. So I, he told me about that book and I forgot that I have it somewhere. It's a PDF and I started reading it, but I never finished it. So there's one section you got to read in it. Uh, it's on Tatwas. Do you know what Tatwas? No. T-A-T-T-W-A. I think it comes from Hinduism. Pretty sure. Don't, don't cite me on that. Um, but the Golden Dawn uses them. A lot of the secret societies use them uh, as methods of astral projection, um, of meditation, and basically they're colored symbols. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, off the top of my head, a yellow triangle, a blue circle, you know, red diamond, whatever. And you can choose one. And typically what you're choosing is, you know, for a specific purpose or something or element and you meditate on it either physically like holding it up in front of you or something or in your head kind of like you're what you're saying with the phallus it's a sort of tatwa um and the sections in that book that israel regarding describes with the tatwas are so crazy basically he you know and he gives you exact instructions and you hit on a lot of this stuff um he says that you know let's say it's a yellow diamond or whatever and you're holding it's you know it's up in front of you and if you meditate on long enough you can basically enlarge it so it's it's a small diamond and then it's getting bigger and bigger in your mind until you go inside of it you Whoa. literally like you climb into the diamond and then you're in a astral world um and he said that you will encounter like you said you will encounter what he, i believe he called it the guardian of the threshold uh, which is a a tour guide, if you will, uh, or bodyguard is how you described it. Um, a psychopomp. Something, you know, they, they will basically greet you and say, hey, you know, or, you know, welcome. Um, and he said that there can be false guides. Um, and I know that that can be a paranoia when doing that sort of stuff of being tricked. Um, but he said that there absolutely can be false guides and you have to know what you're doing. Um, and in his case, he said you have to be able to give the sign of your grade. Mm. Uh, or maybe it's a sign of your element. So, you know, from a Pisces, I would give the water sign, which is like that. Um, and that if it didn't know the, the proper sign to give back, that it was sort of the, t- the, only, <laughs> test, the only test you needed to do. Um, and he goes on and on describing this world that you go into and it just, it just reminded me of what you're talking about. But the Tatwas are crazy, man. Like when you look into so them. So I think this is what you're talking about because I, I went in here and I didn't know what it was. And he was talking about how yes. every shade is means a certain thing. Like every shade is because it was weird. It looked off. And every shade 
is it's meant to do something like that. And now that you're mentioning this, because I didn't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Like I, this is the first time I'm learning about it, but it's really fascinating because it is, it goes back to why is the matrix code green? Well, there are some people who are able to quite literally see that. And not only that, but I think that light and the light and the color spectrum, like the whole thing with Pink Floyd and the and the diamond, you know, the, the pyramid and how it bends light. Right. Light is so important when it comes to our reality. And there's seven chakras. It, it seven, is our reality. It, it, yeah. Exactly. It, it yeah. is our, our perceivable yeah. reality. Yeah. And here I was in this temple that they use for golden wow. dawn rituals and it's all in vr dude i mean it's a full replica they have the chalice they have the daggers they have all the stuff and wow this is i was literally morpheus in this in this i was, I was morpheus interviewing That's a crazy. frog so it's i'm not Hell yeah. i'm not kidding when Do i say <laughs> <laughs> doing the, doing the lord's work here doing the lord's work because yeah. again that's that's what we do here at the one-on-one podcast we get down in the trenches so you don't yeah. have to and we show you these things so yeah and the thing is dude like a lot of people freak out because whatever you're training the ai who cares but it's one thing to be aware of these things and another thing to be up ignorance is bliss right to be unaware of right. it so people yeah. who are in this realm and they are ignorant to everything around the symbols the the symbols are the language of the soul man they speak right, to being us manipulated. yeah exactly yeah. or you of course so it, you know it goes both ways either you're being manipulated um or not not that you're manipulating it's the force um, bro it, you use it for good or for evil yeah exactly so exactly. But yeah. at least that you're aware of it um and you can use it for good you know same, mm-hmm. same, just like magic you know magic gets a bad rap but of course it's you know mostly used for good uh it's just maybe not that interesting when it's being used for good you know it doesn't make a doesn't make for a good story or something you know scary story so i had never heard about this but it looks i think this is where i was that's what that, yeah, that's what yeah. that's used for so it's mandalas yeah. in order to transport mm-hmm. the soul and i think that's what what the platonic solids are bro there's this book that i have that I've been they look reading. like uno cards <laughs> there's this book here check it out i've been digging i've been digging at this as lately sacred codes i've had him on the podcast before lawrence caruana and it's the forgotten principles of pain he's a visionary artist so he knows about transporting your mind to these places and i think that's what yeah. they do real time nowadays with movies video games like, dude, I was watching this movie the other day. I was almost crying, dude, because it was a fake yeah. movie, and it's like, it's it's extracting real feelings out of me. Well, that's that's magic, bro. In order, yeah. that's sympathetic magic. You're able to affect something from a distance. What's the whole thing yeah. with science? The spooky action at a distance. Well, yeah, yeah, that's magic, bro. I 100 percent am on board with the idea that they're using the same. It's a it's a lost technology, 100. Yeah. percent and they're using the same tech that these ancients were able to use in these because there were back then most people were into magic it was it was part of the culture it was it was okay yeah and yeah, every, everyone was using effigies and you know uh, doing rituals and and so on like everything was um sacred back, back then and if you think of what a dollar bill is, if not a sigil, it's a simulacrum of something much deeper. And what do they say? It's the root of all evil. Well, yeah. it cor- it corrupts people. It it make in that we you know we can talk about 
the whole crypto scandal or even the stock market and how money manipulates it, it it's people don't understand what people have to understand is that when you're in in any mat any magical system the number one thing the number one thing is you have to believe well what's holding up what's propping up our money our monetary system faith right. yeah the belief system faith yeah. that tomorrow yeah. it's not going to collapse and it's going to continue going right. so yeah the golden standard was thrown out the window. Uh, when was it? Was it Nixon, I believe, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah or 60s or, or 70s. 70s. Something, yeah. something like that. Point being yeah. that it's literally they can print as much as they want when they want. So where's Less, the yeah. where's the value in that? Where's where where yeah. where's the intrinsic value in that if you can just print more of it whenever you want? And yeah. that's it. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah. There's no intrinsic value. Um you know, of course, they. The theory is that it's backed by the full faith and credit and strength of the United States government. Oh, it's an IOU. Um, yeah, it's an <laughs> IOU, um, and it that is its value is just that it's a a receipt from the most powerful organization in probably world history. Um, so. One of the things about the U.S. dollar that's tricky is that it, it is a completely terrible currency and system, but it's also the least bad out of all the currencies and systems that are in existence right now, not in, excluding maybe like crypto and other things, um, because, you know, at least it's backed by the most powerful government, whereas the other ones, you know, other countries are backed by like hilarious governments that have literally nothing um and then you know so it's it's complicated you know it because even when we have because it's all relative you know it's all exchange rates between currencies so the dollar its value is drawn from its exchange for goods or exchange for other currencies and as long as the other currencies are doing worse which they are uh, like inflation in the United Kingdom is much worse inflation inflation in the United States, then it's still a strong dollar. So it's it's very mind manipulating because people will be like, oh, well, inflation's so bad, and of, of course it is. I mean, it's terrible. Um, it, you know, it's done on purpose, but it's also not as bad as other countries right now. So we're in this weird state where it's like our system's terrible, but it's way better than the other ones sort of deal you know uh and we i think that that's what's going to keep that's what keeps it going you know is that everyone else is still worse you know uh, and you can make the case that maybe some of the currencies like the ruble um where the country's sort of like nationalized and um, cut off global ties it might be a bit stronger um but the united states dollar is still still the standard uh even though it's absolutely awful and they print it into oblivion everyone else is printing more and it's even worse so it's, it's really a i don't know between a rock and a hard place type situation but think about because it's all about power it's all about control we're talking about the occult here i 100 percent believe that they use this these sigils did, did you know about something called and i forget i keep forgetting the name but exertus brought it up backstage while we were waiting to get set up for a podcast and it was talking about 
in Cambodia or something, there is something called devil bucks or devil money where they, they it's this money that it has a bunch of sigils and stuff on it. And they burn it in hopes that these entities on these bills. So apparently it has a bunch of people who have gone to hell. <laughs> it's really fucked wow. up. And they burn this money and they say that they pray for these entities or these people to grant them wishes in this realm. Wow. Yeah. So I think that the alchemical, the alchemical money monetary system, which I believe derive from the Knights Templar, and right. we know what the Knights Templar were up to. The the modern day credit system, they they were the ones that came up with that. Like you deposit it here, and you're able to extract it over there with some sort of card, some identification card, yeah. and that carried on over until today. Well, if you think about again the exchange of energy, me paying you for something. Well, yeah. right now, the whole child sacrifice thing, I think, is is in the future. We're sacrificing our future generations for us right now today, regardless of what happens to them. Well, that's that's we're sacrificing our children to yeah. this system. You know, that that's yeah. our that's you could say that's our devil bucks or whatever it's called. Satan yeah. bucks. Or, I don't well, know what it's we called. have we have our own our own devil bucks already. And it's through philanthropy, you know. Because, of course, the, the most rich, most powerful people in the world are also the most philanthropic most of the time. Um, and, you know, there, there's a bit of that where it's like, oh, okay, you know, they're trying to, you know, uh, polish up their public relations or whatever, you know, their, their reputation. But I've heard it said that what they're doing is really a sacrifice. Um, they're sacrificing their money. They're sacrificing what they value most. You know, they value it more than a child, probably. Um, it could be even more powerful than a child sacrifice to where they're like, you know, here's what I value most. Here's a lot of it, you know, $10 million or something. Uh, and Bezos, in their case, is maybe $100 million. Uh, and I'm going to watch it burn. You know, I'm going to, in, in sort of a twisted deal that they're going to get back more. You know, where it's like, I'm giving up this now to get more later. Uh, and they, they sacrifice it to the charities where they know it's not being used for anything. You know, they, they if you think that people at that level of networking and know-how and business and how the world works actually think that their money is being used properly in these charities, you're crazy. Um, they know that it's a sacrifice. They're burning it, watching it burn in front of them <laughs> in a twisted devil bucks thing where, you know, they're, they're sort of, um, cause I, I know some of the guru self-help books talk about this where it's like, you know, oh, giving and giving and giving to people to get back more, you know, and they say it sort of open up this void because the world will fill it type of thing. Um, and I think that's probably what's going on with, with philanthropy. That's a twisted sort of uh, sacrifice of what they value most. I'm trying to find the name of the of the burning money. So I came across this article. In Cambodia, the ghosts prefer dollars. Wow. So yeah, they... I know in voodoo and Santeria, they do that with a leap. You know, they'll leave out basically like a tip jar and they'll put dollars in it um, for the for the spirits. Interesting. So fake money being burned. Many people, including the dearly departed, prefer to keep dollars mindful of the local currency's volatility during 
there's a 50 in there yeah there's a 50 in there i think that might yeah there's a 50 in there so i'm trying i'm trying to look for it because yeah you're absolutely right i think it's part of the it's the black and white right it's the it's the 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 yin and yang the good has to outweigh the evil that they do and by by them because a lot of these people they understand too that no matter how they can be as evil as they can be and they still achieve some sort of divinity by transgression right but it doesn't right. it doesn't matter right. what you do or it's the whole do what thou wilt type of thing yeah. uh, as of recently we have the whole balenciaga the scandal and controversy on the internet the conspiracies are going crazy about that but we know it's like you know that this stuff is going on in the world and people yeah. still choose to turn a blind eye towards it but like how we mentioned at the beginning is like where does it stop is it ever going to stop what are we able to do because people who speak out against it we know what happens to them right i mean there's i call it flying too close to the sun there's been certain researchers that talk about certain you can't talk about certain things in the community or else Mm -hmm. you get outed and you again become stuff happens so uh, besides that's besides the point but i'm saying that yeah you're absolutely right about these people giving up this offering and yeah, yeah. I, th- I think philanthropy is black magic. I think it oof. really is. I think it's a sacrifice. I think that's what, you know, that's what they value most. And they're sacrificing it to the altar of, you know, fake uh, goodwill, basically. You know, they know that it's, it's not getting anything done. You know, they know they're not curing you know, whatever, some disease in Africa or something or whatever, whatever it is that they're giving to, uh, it's all BS. I mean, of course it's a tax right off too, but on top of that, uh, I think it's, it, it is a black magic strategy, I think. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I think that these people understand that and that's the whole thing with the money, right? Why so much of it? We talked about Bezos at the beginning. You have right. Elon Musk, which I think is, is I like the way my friend puts it. He's a construct. I think these people understand how you're saying that they are in some sort of metaverse. And that's why they use all this money. They, they, it doesn't matter to them because it's, it's a real life monopoly. And right. I think that, yeah, the use of sympathetic magic is real. And I like to, I'm digging into the origins of chess. Because speaking on the Enochian system, you know about Enochian chess? Chess? Enochian chess. <laughs> no, I mean, I know about Enochian, but I don't know anything about Enochian chess. Yeah, so there's a thing called Enochian chess, and it's a, it's a chess. I'm, again, I'm looking into it, but what I want to relate the, the concept of the game of chess as some sort of sympathetic sympathetic tool for you know for sympathetic magic where you use it as a simulacrum of the real world and you play a game of thrones in a way and if you look at they don't know the origins of chess they don't know where it started there's similar games all throughout history but if you think about it similar with uh with the the tarot with tarot mm -hmm. cards they they don't know where that started Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. most likely because it was just held uh, within society, mystery schools and secret societies, probably mm-hmm. chess was too, uh, mm-hmm. alongside those. Uh, and they have no idea. They, it pops up in the Renaissance, 
uh, and before that, no clue, you know. Well, and that's the thing. I think that royalty was using it in order to, right? You have the pawns, you have a hierarchy, a caste system within the actual game. And it's, it's a game of, if you really look at it, it's like a game of ascension. It's almost like an occulted, what if, because yeah. your brother and I have talked about it, where they use, right, these buildings and the wooden floors, if you follow the same steps uh, as somebody who came before you, you're able to unlock something, right? Something happens. Well, what if by playing this game and you unlock a certain move set, you know, set of moves, right, you're able to key in your brain. Or something. Yeah, something the gear, happens. The gears turn. Yeah. If you no, look at if, if you look at all the greatest players, right? They build these crazy mind palaces and they're super. They 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 remember all these crazy things. Well, it's yeah. it's like again, I'm looking into also the origins of golf, and I've came across I've come across this idea. Trust me, bro. Whenever <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm open-minded, don't worry. Whenever I look at something and, and you start to connect the dots, yeah. it's like there's something occultic behind it. And yeah. I came across Dude, look, look at uh, sorry, you can go first. <laughs> I, I, I came across yeah. this idea that the game of of golf is actually a religion, like an ancient religion, and that wow. the golf clubs were actually staffs, and they were doing they were playing golf in plain hidden in plain sight when they were actually doing like a sort of mass well if you think wow. about if you think about where they play golf nowadays right now. especially especially yeah well right there dude if, if you uh, they're trampling you know what i'm saying they're using the yeah. same thing you know where these ancient people did their their ceremonies and, and their burial sites and stuff like that and they're literally playing they're doing a they're they're practicing a religion on top of that. if you look at it, it's the what do they call it the the game of the wealthy or whatever and it's super boring and it's but it's yeah, super yeah. big you know tiger woods well if you think yeah. about alchemical symbolism you know what i'm saying like the yeah. tiger the, the tiger lion. yeah i don't yeah. know bro mm. trying to think if i can well so with i i played lacrosse growing up um so did dr longa um, and lacrosse has really interesting origins. Uh, it originated with, it's a Native American sport, um, mostly played in like upstate New York and Canada by those tribes, like the Iroquois and tribes like that. Uh, and they originally played, it was like a full-on, I think they played over like huge uh, spaces of land. Like it wasn't like on a small field, it was played like over you know, like miles basically. And they would be passing around. They would have these sticks with baskets on them and they'd be passing around a skull. It was a head what? that they were, they were throwing around. Yes. Um, and that's how they played. And that's that's the or, the origin of lacrosse. You were, they were playing with heads. There was no ball. Of like their, of, of who? who? Whose head was it? Is that, that their enemy? Or? Yeah, I don't. I don't know um, whose head they were using, but yeah, someone's head. It was probably someone who sacrificed something like that. Interesting. Or maybe they played in order not to get their head yeah. cut off and have their head used for the next games. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting because you you yeah. you think about a lot of people don't understand what the again it goes back to this idea of the occult, where people don't understand what they're what they're practicing literally because when you go to practice to for a sport you're practicing the sport you know to to get better at it well 
you don't know what you're participating in or its roots. They say that baseball is a Freemasonic game. If you look at how it's set up, it's got like, you know what I'm saying? Like the occult origins of everything that we do. You you don't, people don't know. And I think that's part of the ritual too. And if you think about the the amount of energy, because I think it all goes back to energy and the mining of energy. If you think about the energy that's mined at these super bowls and these right. these these soccer cups or whatever they call them, you know, cups, the chalice, and all these things, the, the amount of energy that goes into that, the money transference of energy, alchemy. That goes into these places. Well, what if they are mining people's energies? And if you look, dude, if you look at, I think it's another way to polarize people and put them in this two-party system. Because if you don't argue yeah, it's about, tribal. yes, yeah. if you don't argue yeah. about politics, you're going to argue about which car brand is the best. And if you look at the car brand names, <laughs> like a Horo Mazda, yeah. oh Mazda, and the symbols, the Subaru symbolism, yeah. Yeah. symbols rule everything. And I think that this is another tactic that they use to polarize us to to split us apart even and and that's the whole thing about the truther community as of lately people have been pushing their ideologies on other people it's like the reason that we're here is because you had ideologies pushed on you right and you didn't like that yeah the truther thing can get tricky because you know you also find a lot of people who are critical um of history of course they can be critical of other people Um, But they're critical of history, critical of the narratives that are spun. Um, But it can it can go too far as well to where it's like, okay, we were just shooting stuff down and you're not really putting anything else together. You know, so you have people who are saying, you know, well, this is a lie. That's a lie. This is fake. That's fake. But they never tell you what their narrative is, you know, what they think the timeline is or what they think. You know what I mean? They're not really putting forth any idea. They're just criticizing. Uh, and that can get kind of old. I don't know if that's the truth necessarily. Um, and, it, you know, it's okay to go out on a limb and say, this is what I think. You don't have to say this is the truth. This is what happened. But I'd like to see more people in that community come out and give what they think happened, you know, um, you know whether it's the United States history or world history. Instead of just sitting there and being like, oh, this, you know, this building wasn't built when it was built. It's like, okay, well, what do you act? What do you think? You know, when do you think it was built? You know, instead of just saying it wasn't built in 1850, be like, tell me when you think it was built. Tell me who you think built it. Well, and and, and they give you a very broad thing. Like, oh, it's like history is a lie. Yeah, we know. We know that, bro. I mean, like. Right, yeah. It's like, what are you contributing to make it better? Like, what are you trying to yeah. get at? Like, what is what does it mean? And that's one of the biggest things is, right, you're surrounded by all these books, by all this knowledge. And if you were to read it all, would you even be able to comprehend it all? Probably not. But also, you have all this knowledge about the occult and all this stuff. It's like, what does it all mean? Right. Yeah, what are you doing thing. with it? Exactly. You have to be synthesizing. Um, you have to be artistic. You have to be willing to stumble towards truth so you're not going to be right right away um like i said maybe you know maybe in that example when someone's criticizing oh the building wasn't built in 1850 and they just stop there i'm saying well let's stumble our way towards what the truth really is we're going to be wrong probably and you know i'm going to go out on a limb and say oh i think it was built in eight you know in 
1250 by you know this tribe you know or something whatever and that that makes you do a little bit more research because instead of tearing things down you're actually synthesizing things you're actually building yourself um and i think if if all the truthers were doing as much synthesizing as they were criticizing probably get a lot more done get a lot closer (laughs) closer to to what the truth might be you know instead of like you're saying it's like all right we get it you know there's a lot of lies but what what are the truths you know or what are you doing to combat that or you know awake and that's the thing it's not your job to wake anybody up right I, i personally i just plant the seed on this show i talk about what i find interesting i'm not here to to push any agendas i'm here to have open mind yeah. conversations and higher saying it's like yeah synthesize it we we are the og philosopher's stone we're intaking lead yeah. material and we're synthesizing yeah. and making gold we're making art we're producing podcasts and i think as a podcaster yeah. it goes back to the the old alchemist in the cave well the cave is these four walls and the alchemy is my my ideas, our ideas coming together, synthesizing other ideas in other people's mm-hmm. minds as they're listening to this conversation and they're connecting dots. You've helped me connect dots like, damn, that was crazy. I didn't know about that or whatever it is. And yeah. that's the beauty of it. That's alchemy. You're making that's the gold that that yeah. art is the gold. And yeah. people how you're saying if they if they would focus on synthesizing instead of criticizing yeah. The world would be a lot a lot yeah. better and I think we would actually make some ground and cover some ground because if it, it feels like sometimes just honestly sometimes we are in like an echo chamber too, right? A yeah. reality tunnel where you're stuck in that and that's all you're focused on and there's you can't really there are no outside influences. It's just what you're seeing and the right. truth of community has gone kind of toxic uh, as yeah. of lately, right? That's why yeah. well, I I'm, I'm not a member of the of the community. <laughs> Um, I, I don't naturally tend towards conspiracy theories, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I'm not like uh, closed-minded or cynical. I, I'm. I think I might be too open-minded, actually. Mm. Well, um, it's like who is it? I did, yeah, is I'm just kind of. I'm but, open to like all possibilities, mm-hmm. and I'm not uh, quick to have a conviction. I'm not quick to because it's sort of paradoxical in this truth or. Uh, sphere a lot of people are very open-minded they're willing to hear things out or explore other potential truths alternatives um but then once they find their thing they're like ideological which is what you talked about uh they just shut off and they're like no this Mm -hmm. is it and Mm -hmm. it's like i just i think that i i'm actually too open-minded to do some of that you know people will be like oh well you know what do you think is the earth flat or is the earth sphere and i'm like I don't know. It could be, you know, I'm open to both or, you know, and people don't like to hear that. They just don't like the, I don't know. It's in it. It's not an indecisiveness because I do my research on, on all fronts, I think. Um, but it's just, I don't, I don't like pretending that I know, mm-hmm. um, you know, with some super strong conviction. And I like just remaining sort of open-minded and exploring all roots. Uh, and I think that our society is so binary uh, it's so, you know, you either believe or you don't. You can't just be like, I'm open to that possibility. So that can't be your answer. You have to, yeah, you because know, then they'll be like, oh, so no. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, because they assume. But yeah. 
I, I forget who was it, either Aristotle or Socrates that said you can, it's the mark of an educated man to be able to entertain ideas without accepting them. And that's where I stand. I, I, yeah. I look at these topics as how Terrence McKenna puts it. They're like toys with, with ideas and thoughts and you just manipulate them and you yeah. put them right back. Well, cause that, that's the thing. It's, it's very easy how you're saying people will assume by us just talking about this, that we automatically accept it. Right. Yeah. But it's like, no, you're just trying to understand you're open-minded and I reserve the right to change my mind too. Right. If, yeah. if, if I'm wrong about something or if I learned something new, damn, right. You're, you're right about that. Like whatever, yeah. like, you know, I'll, 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 yeah. I'll vouch for that or whatever it is. Yeah. But yeah, dude. And, and it's, if you really think about it, dude, we're, we're just ideas fighting with one another. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't yeah, like the way the, you, uh, it's the marketplace of ideas, you know? Yeah. That's all it is. And, and if we are able to, I don't think we're ever going to come together because there's just too many different ways people can interpret things. And that's the beautiful thing about life too, that you can interpret the same thing five different ways. So, and I think that's part of the alchemical process too, because there's different steps There's seven steps. And, and if you look at the seven, I mean, that's the whole thing with, with the whole, with existence, with any major religion, how we mentioned earlier, like the, the colors, sounds, the musical notes, all these different things. Well, it, it, there's, there's steps to it. Mm-hmm. So maybe we won't get to the same idea today, but who knows if we're maybe kind of get to this close ground. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said stumbling towards truth. Mm. Uh, that's, that's just the, the phrase I like the best stumbling towards, you know, we're, we're going to be so wrong along the along the way mm. you know we're putting ourselves out there taking a risk you know by taking some sort of position um and by having different positions like you're saying they're sort of being divided mm-hmm. but eventually mm-hmm. we get slowly towards the truth and you know i don't know if you know Mimenides. he was a, a jewish philosopher um, no, no, and right his on. his whole thing was that he said since the since creation is vast and complex and God's will is beyond human understanding. Um, and, and he sort of defined God as all human perspectives put together, like a full circle. Like if you lined up every human uh, in a huge circle and just had all of their view, point of, points of view combined into one thing, that would be God in his definition. Um, and so he thought that the goal of biblical interpretation should be to maximize the possible interpretations, which is very different than most scholars. Um, Mimenides was a really interesting guy. Uh, he's been influential since, but he thought basically that we should look at, you know, in his case, the Torah, but it could be the Bible or any book or anything in life and try to, maximize the different perspectives different understandings uh of whatever it is that we're studying and that that was getting closer to god closer to truth because god is that sort of a omniscient circle so it's it's like the whole idea that god is experiencing himself through everybody type of thing yes yeah yeah that's what he thought so because he's doing that we should try to experience the world through everybody too. try and mm. understand everybody's point of view. Yeah. That's what I tell people. Yeah. I mean, the, the, at its core, 
I think that's what religion does. It, it sort of helps people synthesize. It gives them a, a structure, but then goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of what, what's the saying? Absolute power corrupts absolutely or something around that. Yeah. You start to have that greed in the organization and people start to push certain ideologies and you ha- now how many denominations is it of christianity nowadays like a hundred thousand or some oh my god like 30 something thousand whatever yeah. a, a crazy number because yeah again they can't even yeah. agree on one thing because yeah. they're interpreting this ancient scripture a yeah. hundred thousand different ways so yeah. like that one detail that changes from this sect to the next well, they, you know, yeah. this this denomination to the next, and they just changed and started their whole new denomination, and you know these these people over here are getting bit by snakes, and these other people are like, no, you can't you can't take that literal yeah. because the snakes are dangerous. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying like it's it's crazy, bro. Yeah, it's wild, yeah, dude. The theological breaks and schisms that used to happen in like the Middle Ages are hilarious. Yeah, like the arguments that they were having over different sects or between different. Uh, scholars uh, and scholasticism are so funny because of how silly they are you know it's like oh what do you think the the structure of the trinity really is you know what do you think that and it's like who you know Mm -hmm. who cares like it's it's just so silly to be arguing over those those silly different things they were arguing about which type of bread to use for the eucharist yeah right and if when you ate the bread if it would become shit in your body after the fact oh or would God. it not because it's the body of Christ. bro there's so many things and that one's actually kind of funny that well yeah exactly but yeah. just to think just so people understand how far it's come and how ridiculous man can be man himself can be mm-hmm. and just the imperfections of man and i don't think that it, it's really easy bro to get lost in the sauce and be like hey and and you've seen this tactic used all throughout history and you understand history, you know your history. But the idea, and we can talk about the Byzantine Empire because the idea of using divine rulership to rule over a people, right. it's a brokered experience. dude. I don't think that any one man can say, hey, I'm trying to word it in the correct way, but I don't think that man himself can claim to to have talked to divinity in some sort of way. And and the reason I'm saying that is because I've come from a Pentecostal background where every other day somebody, you know, heard the voice of God or whatever. It was yeah, like, but did yeah. you did you did you really, bro? You know what I'm Probably saying? Not. Like Probably not. I, I came from where they would dance around, jump around, speak in tongues and all these things. Like I don't I don't feel that man because he's so imperfect should be saying that. And if you look at like the Holy Roman Empire when they're like, hey, well I'm the king, I'm the emperor, I'm ruling over you. Well, there's one thing to be like, hey, God appointed me in this throne to rule over you. That that rang a different bell with yeah, people yeah. and that rubbed them yeah. a different way. Yeah. You know? And I don't think that yeah. I don't think that that should be the case. I think it should be yeah. like a I don't know what I don't know what the solution is. I'm not even gonna try yeah. and, and offer a solution. I, I I do like the well, I think the solution is the is in individualism you touched on earlier the hero's journey uh the individual becoming his own hero his or her own hero um and facing life more or less on their own uh, like an existential heroic fashion um that's 
that's probably one of the solutions. But one of the best quotes I've heard on Christianity was, God, what's the guy's name? Like, I think it's Athanasius said, God became man so that man could become God. Yeah, I, I love that quote. Oof. Um, yeah, and it made it made it just sort of made that Christian story of why God would become you know a, a living being, walking person. It made it make sense to me. You know, no, I'm in I'm in no way like a subscribed Christian or something, but it made made me more interested in, in it um, from sort of a mystical perspective. Um, you know, not that man would become a God, but sort of become united with God. Yeah. Uh, once, once again, and to prove that it is this sort of full circle that he can become man so that you could become him, you know, or in union with him. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I like the way that they put it in the Gnostic cosmology where in the upper eons, it's the watery light. And yeah. in the watery light, the angels see themselves within you and you see the, the wow. angels. So it's like the one, how you're saying that oneness, it's like, we're all yeah. one. And the whole, I think that's why they were wiped out, bro. The Gnostics. I yeah. think that's why they were killed because oh, you, you can't, you can't yeah. be talking the about that. Yes. Gnostics. Yeah. They, you can't be were, talking about that. Yeah. They were way closer to some sort of true religion, uh, system of mysticism of independence of alchemy and magic all encompassing religion of truth um in the not you know gnosticism has some weird stuff that's hard to get my head around but it has a lot of truth too um so mm-hmm. you know they were sort they were sort of stumbling as well um they were onto some they, you know they were into astrology they were into all kinds of interesting practices have you ever heard of hesychasm no how do you spell it uh, H-E-S-Y chasm C-H-A-S-M so this is the interesting um, you know everyone's familiar it's, it's so interesting how Christianity has a split um, between like the Roman Catholic Church uh, which eventually splits off into Protestantism um, and then Eastern Orthodoxy which is you know you find in North Africa the Middle East Turkey Russia Greece um, of course, that happens with the Great Schism, but Hesychasm is a Eastern Orthodox form school of mysticism. So it's like a monastic Christianity. Uh, it takes aspects from Kabbalah, from Sufism, um, from Gnosticism. It shares a lot with Gnosticism, and it's still going today. Uh, their central text is the Philokalia. It's a in English, it's a four book set. We have it in the store. Uh, really, really interesting. Nobody in the West talks about hesychasm. You'll hear about Gnosticism all the time, all these other things. Nobody talks about hesychasm. And I, it makes you wonder why. Um, you know, most people don't talk about East, Eastern Orthodox religion at all, uh, which again, what's, you know, what's going on with that? I, if you talk to most Christians, and ask them some questions about orthodoxy. They have they don't even know, you know some of them that it exists. Um, but then, you know, let alone that it's thriving, um, that their practitioners are still still going today uh, in Russia. It's of course the the biggest religion, and 
Greece and other other areas. And it's it is it's much more mystical, Eastern Orthodoxy. So they have Hesychasm, which is like their very mystical sect, almost like Sufism is in, in Islam. But they've really their version of Christianity as a whole is much more mystical. Um, it has, you know, there's less reliance on the church, more um, emphasis on direct experience of God or working towards union with God, on meditation, mantras. It's very interesting, uh, worth looking into, I would say. Uh, they 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 have no tradition of scholasticism. I never heard. This is the first time I'm hearing about this. So it's a, it's a sort of. Do you, so I'm I'm seeing the practices here. So it's a sort of internal. So you have an alchemical process. So purification. Yeah. You have illumination. You yeah. have deification, and so through prayer, through meditation, it's almost like a sort of kundalini type of thing where you're. Yeah you're trying it's, to achieve uh the yes the the, uh, the soul ascent right the connection yes. and, and taking yourself to god on strictly yeah. through prayer there's no yeah there's no church involved which is and that's that's what they don't want though bro because yeah. and there's very little what i was touching on is there's there's no scholasticism so there's no tradition of uh philosophy of religion so you know in in the roman catholic church you have uh St. Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. St. August, mm-hmm. Augustine, mm-hmm. all these people who are monks who would sit there all day long for their whole life and ruminate on God and on theology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, we touched on earlier, but get in these like little philosophical debates on the details. Get lost in the know, sauce, yeah. And scripture, and they're just talking about dogma with no emphasis on uh the things that you just touched on illumination and these processes uh eastern orthodox christianity has no scholasticism there is no there are no arguments going on about little details and it's not you know it's not perfect or something uh it's it's just worth looking into because almost nobody talks about eastern orthodox christianity and it's huge you know, most people in in Russia are are Eastern Orthodox Christians, and in Greece too, uh, and in Turkey for a long time. So it's not like some little thing. Because I think that, so what you're saying, it goes back to what I mentioned, and I've seen this even firsthand when, when the translation of certain grimoires were were occurring, people of the church were translating all these grimoires, and they would omit on purpose parts of the these grimoires because it right. wouldn't align with their views of the time well that doesn't stop at grimoires that will be the case for any ancient scripture that you look yeah. at well how do you know it hasn't been filtered down i mean the king james version of the bible if you look at the history of yeah. king james dude come on yeah. and so, all the councils you know the dude, council of yes. this the council of that so i know. i like that idea of just take there you know god is god if it's a if it's a male female if he's black white who cares it doesn't matter what bread you use but at yeah. at the end of the day bro they want a brokered experience they want to have that control they want to take yeah. they want to be the middleman and that's why I'm saying I don't think a man has the credentials to tell you if you've been saved or not yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. like it, it's it's up to it's your gnosis it's yeah. whatever it is to you that sacred knowledge to you and yeah. you're 
process of catharsis or whatever it is of illumination, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's on you and the, the deity or or the divine or whatever it is. I don't think that anybody should be between that. And I think that's why, again, People start yeah. to, it's like the, like the force. It's well, that's there. why, that's why sex like Eastern Orthodoxy, Hesychasm, Gnosticism get censored. They get ignored. Nobody talks about them in the West. It's all, you know, go to your church, you know, submit to the Pope, all that kind of stuff. They don't want to hear, they don't want to hear the words Gnosis, <laughs> illumination, you know, catharsis and, and so on. Uh, and there's just so much interesting history with the, the Christian church. Have you ever heard the, uh, the Ethiopian stuff? Not, not, um, like the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that's where uh, the book of Enoch comes yeah, into play. Yeah. With, but yeah. Way, even way before that, when this is the middle ages. So the Arabs and the recently, more or less recently powerful Muslim caliphates had taken over the whole middle East um, most of North Africa, as well as parts of you know Eastern Europe and Southern Europe, by the Mediterranean, um, and they so there became this it's really interesting. There became this huge split between Europe and Africa, and in Europe, they thought they were the only people in the world who practiced Christianity, and they would hear stories of this land beyond uh the arab universe beyond the arab world where people are also practicing christianity and it was mythical they were like oh yeah you know yeah right and they said they're black they're black people they're huge and they're christians and you know like one person like every 50 years would come back from africa and be like it's true like there are you know and it was like a a, uh folklore type thing like yeah, <laughs> oh my god like they're and like by oh, huge is it like giants or what are you what are you gonna no, just like you know like a, a great number like of people six, no, no i just mean like the ethiopians were super tall mm. um and they're just like you know very tall black people which in europe at that time was like they'd never seen a black person in their life um and they're and they practice the same religion as us interesting and people would be like falling out of their chairs like that is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard in my life and there's really interesting books on this when yeah because you literally have christianity on two ends growing in its own little universe so it's interesting to see the differences that happen and when they came into contact with each other each other it was fascinating to read about um you know europeans and ethiopians coming into contact both of them christians you know, imagine, you know, it'd be like an alien dropping down from the sky and being like, oh, yeah, Pentecostals. Like, yeah, we're we're in on it, too. You know, mm-hmm. and you're just your head would explode. Like, how did you know? Of course, it's pretty straightforward, the history, but it's interesting to to read about. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's like a universal type of thing, a universal mm-hmm. force that's and everything? It just depends on how you tap into it, because yeah. if they weren't indoctrinated no. by the mainstream not by the mainstream yeah they the ethiopians had their own version of like coptic christianity okay okay um so it's like an egyptian ethiopian mm. african form yeah of course it originally and it's one of the oldest too it's one of the oldest yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is super interesting and that that's one of the things that got me into this whole thing when when i was 
asking those hard questions at church or, or wherever and and I could and and I wasn't give, being given answers. I wasn't my questions were is like why are you referencing a non-canonical book in our canon but you're referencing it you know you're referencing a non-canonical book in our canon and then when I ask you why it's non-canon it's cuz it's heretical but yeah you're referencing <laughs> it. it yeah so yeah. so that type of thing and I'm I'm talking about the book of Enoch and when you read that book um how it's in one of the oldest bibles of all time but it's not in the king james it's like well because is it too woo woo is it too yes you know what i'm saying like absolutely yeah because it goes hard in the paint um, bro yeah and there's some interesting stuff with the book of enoch and what's the other one? Oh, the pistis sophia mm-hmm. it's the gnostic text so the pistis sophia was in what is it? What language is it written in? It's in um, Coptic Egyptian. So the Pista Sophia is written in an ancient dead language called Coptic, which is basically a Egyptian using the Greek alphabet. Because, of course, the Greeks ruled over Egypt for periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's written from way back. It's a Gnostic text. And it was found in the 1700s, I believe, early 1700s. Same thing as the Book of Enoch, uh, around the same time. It's like a story of creation, but it's like behind the scenes type of thing where it's like it gives you the nitty gritty. uh, It's like, you know what I'm saying? Like that. And that's what they don't want you. Because, like, one of my favorite apocryphal or either an Agamotti or Dead Sea Scrolls, whichever ones, because imagine how different, like that's the underground Christian. Yeah, imagine how right. different. Untouched. Yeah. Yes, un- unfiltered because it yeah. wasn't filtered through through the Romans. Yeah. And I like to think of it like sometimes like, what if they were writing like some sort of fan fiction or something and they just wanted yeah. to keep it for themselves and then they stashed it away somewhere and some people found it. When, do you believe that story, bro, how they found it? Like some people found it, they were burning it to like kindle their fire and then... Yeah, I've heard about that, <laughs> All the stories with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the other one, Nagamati and all those are hilarious. Because like it was the curve. same year, I think, that I think either Crowley or Parsons was doing some funny stuff. And they were found, I think it was. I forgot what. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was like near something occultic was happening. Like the Nagamati wow. was being discovered. Then the Dead Sea Scrolls came later. Yeah. But it had. Well, it, the, book of, the Book of Enoch and the Sophia were just were found within. I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years of each other, mm. something like that. Yeah, both in the early 1700s. The weirdest part about those is they're both in dead languages. So uh, you, you said it, but the Book of Enoch is in Ethiopian. It's in ancient Ethiopian, which nobody speaks. Uh, and definitely nobody can translate into English or at the time it was found. And same thing with the Pisces Sophia. Nobody could translate Coptic into English because it's dead. Um yeah, some people may have understood it, but they definitely couldn't translate. And it was decades before they could translate them in the 1800s. But this is where it's interesting, is that the secret societies, like the Masons, Rosicrucians, and so on, their societies started showing signs uh, in their rites and rituals and practices and symbols that they understood what was in those texts. So the texts were found and they were put on display in England, in museums, both of them, Book of Enoch and Sophia. 
And then before they're translated, in the secret societies, we see, you know, this is 1700s, so think, um, you know, George Washington, Freemasons in America, how, how Egyptian they were. Um, and they started taking on aspects of things that were in these texts when the text hadn't been translated. So it, it raises the question, how were, you know, is it yeah. some just synchronistic thing where, you know, they started doing things that were totally mirroring later what we know the texts say when we translated them afterwards in the 1800s? Um, or were they able to translate them? They had preserved knowledge. Or, you know, which I, yeah, that's probably the only other option. Either it's synchronistic you know, some sort of uh, unconscious type thing that they're tapping into, or they, they really do have a lineage that goes back to these cultures in Egypt um, and f- maybe even further back to where they were mm-hmm. able to translate. They were, you know, they went to, they could go to the museum and look at the Pista Sophia and be like, oh, yeah, I know, you know, we, we have that knowledge preserved. We can translate it uh, before the, the public could translate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you what do you what do you think is going on there? Because it makes me think of what's the book that John D allegedly had that nobody was able to decipher. The Voynich manuscript. The Voynich manuscript, where they that that so the reason I bring that one up is because. Have you heard the story of how that was found? No. Oh my god, dude! It's and I I haven't been able to find uh, the primary text on this because I know but, it had yeah, to do with yeah. like Rudolph the second, but the thing yeah. about that text was that. Yeah. We both love Rudolph. We lo- both love uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that period of time. Oh, yeah. So Prague, the, yeah. the idea of this text invoking a change within people when they read it, almost like if the pages are made out of some sort of poison or something, yeah. well, it's making me think of, because you're talking about these texts having some sort of metaphysical effect, like in some which way, like where yeah. they're affecting reality. And so what do you, but what do you think is going on there? Do you think it's like something that's tapping into like the Akashic records and their DNA? Right. It could be something like that uh, where it is. I'm a, I'm a Jungian. So I use the term collective unconscious, but Akashic records, same exact thing. Um, And yeah, it could be some sort of symbol that, like you said earlier, when you unlock something, symbol unlocks, it just turns the gears. What the yeah, you know, all of a sudden the Masons are just like, oh yeah, you know, like obelisks and Egyptian stuff and all, and uh, you know, we understand they're doing rituals that are in, you know, the Book of Enoch or you know things that are in Dude. the Book of Enoch before we could yeah. even translate them. Yeah. You know? So the, either it's that, or they really have a lineage mm-hmm. which goes back far enough, mm-hmm. um, which they say they do. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. Yeah, because either, either way, it's interesting. Like Egyptian know. right or something like that. Then there's the Scottish right. Then there's the other right. Like there's a whole bunch of yeah. different sect. Sex again. Back to the whole yeah. thing. People so can't even sense. agree. But yeah, and then these people said they have the legitimate lineage to that group of people. But then the other ones say like, <laughs> no, they was broken off yeah. a long time ago, and they have wizard yeah. wars and so. But I never, dude, I never thought about that before. About, yeah. but it goes back to this idea that where does the word grammar come from? It comes from grimoire. So the idea that spelling and words and these sigils have an effect, especially which type of ink are you using to write these words down? 
it's almost like the the manga death note where he writes down the names of these people and they die in real life so again some sort of sympathetic magic but then it would make you think like who were the writers of was it the og enoch probably not you know right. what I'm saying? Like these dudes were a hundred percent magicians and they were involved in magic, even oh, yeah. though like, I forgot who it was. I think it was uh, Michael Scott. I don't know if you've ever looked into the, the Michael Scott, the magician, Michael Scott, the theologian, Michael Scott, where he was like a wow. church father. He was a theologian and yeah. they, they were like, Hey, yeah. wait a minute, bro. You are writing about occult practices. You are reading about occult practices yeah. you know this way too well for a guy who says that's heretical and is against it and is for the church yeah. well the, the conspiracy is that he turned out that he was actually one of the greatest occultists of all time practicing wow. necromancy and what they call negromancy which is which is black magic so again yeah. it's 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 you know the john smith from the the mormons mm -hmm. he, he was a necromancer really 100%. Oh yeah, it's it's in the the Book of Mormon. Yeah, it's like that's uh, like a funny religion that, that's like oh yeah, I can only interpret yeah. these skulls, and then there was like a ring I think it was. Oh, uh, it's all kind. Of, but in in his story of how he found the tablets, which are the Book of Mormon, um, he basically comes into contact with this angel Moroni. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and the angel tells him his his brother had died and you know buried all that and he's the angel tells him this is in the book of mormon the angel says bring me your brother and he's and he says to the angel Moroni, he's like yeah but my brother's dead like i can't bring my brother and he says bring me your brother and he's like okay and so he exhumes it, him it it ends there it ends there they don't, they don't explain it but it, john smith's father believes that he yeah that he dug his brother up and basically brought him to this tree where uh yeah it's pretty trippy i think there might be evidence that he dug him up too but it's it's full-on like i did not know that i don't know the history on i know it's a cult but yeah yeah he was an occultist so no no like a a cult like c-u-l-t oh, yeah. yeah not he only literally a cult. an occultist. <laughs> yeah. yeah he was using like he was scrying um yeah he was yeah, yeah he was using sigils he wore like a jupiter talisman like all he was a cultist yeah so it's not that surprising yeah i read but, about that about him yeah. doing scrying sessions and and trying to yeah. contact other entities which i oh, think a voynich manuscript i almost forgot to tell you so yeah well, well let, let's wrap it up on that because i think we, we should get together again and talk about sure. the byzantine empire and you really piqued my interest when it came to these these books that affect reality because i think that's what all these movies in hollywood are about like the the ninth yeah. gate like the book written by satan himself and all these crazy yeah. things well to think that this would happen but it goes back to how you're saying this Jungian concept of these symbols unlocking these being these keys to our psyche right. of humanity yeah so what the, were you about the voynich the voynich manuscript first of all is in a language which cannot be deciphered so nobody uh, can translate it or understands what language it's in. Um, it is, to my knowledge, believed to be, you know, by whatever their definition is, a real language. So there is like syntax and things uh, in the spelling. And it was discovered by Edward Kelly. It wasn't discovered by John Dee. Uh, 
he he obviously was in possession of it, but Edward Kelly found it, uh, I believe, in England, Scotland, wherever he was living in the United Kingdom. Uh, I think this is says, in his biography, right? John yeah. D's biography. I think I read, but they sold it for like fifteen thousand gold or something like that. Yeah. yeah but yeah. he, Edward Kelly, says that he was led to the Voynich manuscript by a magical creature. Yes, he says he was led to it by a magical creature. I've been dying to find out what the primary, you know, where he said that because mm. I've only heard heard that from secondary sources. That Vincent Bridges and said I've, that. No, I don't remember where I was reading it. Because Vincent um, Bridges is like the top esotericist for Edward Kelly. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't well, know if you've I ever read his it. work. No, I haven't. It's fucking um, mind. Got to then. Dude, yeah. Vincent Bridges, look him up. One of my sure. favorite esotericists, occultists, yeah. whatever. He is mind-blowing, bro. Read his work and you will be blown away. I'll send you oh, some nice. of his stuff. Yeah, I just looked him up. Yeah, he, he's passed but away now, but rest in peace. He says he was led to it by a magical creature. A homunculus? Whatever that means. It could be a homunculus. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't say it. Uh, could be any, you know, little gnome or Bigfoot or something. I don't know what the hell it is. I want to know. I really do. Well, where'd you um, hear this? I can't remember. I was listening to something on Prague and Rudolph II mm-hmm. and that whole thing and was talking about john d and edward kelly and it said that that's how he discovered it because like rudolph had yeah. midgets <laughs> like he had yeah, a collection of midgets yeah. <laughs> yeah rudolph is we could do a whole podcast i'm obsessed with with that point in time the mm-hmm. rudolphian prague and yeah everything that was going on and they of course housed the voynich manuscript uh in rudolph's uh, mm-hmm. ca- cabinet of curiosities um, interesting because guillermo yeah. del toro just came up with a cabinet show, yeah, yeah. yeah is that based off of that um i don't i mean the the word is the word originally is wunderkammer uh which is cabinet of curiosities cabinet of wonders um and basically rudolph had entire buildings full of things stones um magical objects you know, oh, dude! Clock, yeah, save it. Clocks and let's yeah, do. Let's, go on. Yeah, let's do an episode yeah. just on that next. I want to. I want to yeah. touch on that because I yeah. think that that plays a, a key role into. And we can uh, when we're talking about that, we can talk about the Byzantine Empire because that ties yeah. all into that whole thing. Yeah, and, we'll do that one too. And how maybe they're magically affecting reality today? Who knows? Absolutely. Right? So, well, the Voynich manuscript. You know where it is right now? Where? Where? Where it's housed? Is it like Washington D.C. or something? <laughs> Yeah, Yale University. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, Skull and Bones, baby. Oh damn, oh, yeah. dude! Hold on, let me hit the button. Let me hit the button. Yeah. Illuminati confirmed. There you go. <laughs> you can look it up, dude. That Voynich manuscript is in the Yale University Library. Yikes! Yeah, isn't Whoa. that crazy? That, that, it came that, all the way from Rudolf Sprague and Edward Kelly and all of them. That crazy. is crazy. Occultists <laughs> run the world, yeah. and I think. Yeah, let's wrap it up there, dude. We'll do it definitely. Sure. We'll do, and and I'll invite my friend who also fascinated by Rudolph the Second, and I did buy that book from your store, Rudolph the Second. Yeah, so I, I remember. Circle. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, dude, let's get together again. I really enjoyed this. I think we sure. we touched on a lot of things. A lot of new ideas were brought forth, and we'll dig into Edward Kelly. I'm going to be doing an episode on John D. So I think uh, I I know enough about Edward Kelly 
to be dangerous. But I'll do some yeah. more digging to see if, because again, he was one of the greatest alchemists of all time. Yeah. And one of the purposes of a homunculus is to find buried treasures. And yeah, it could have well, John. John Smith was a treasure seeker too, the uh, founder of Mormonism. There you that go. That was his his actual profession. Interesting. And these guys, these are guys who are breaking taboos too. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that, dude. Can you, you want, I don't know if you want to plug your social media or not. If you want, I can plug, you can't plug, you don't have to plug if you don't want to. And then I can, I don't have anything that that interesting. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Professor Longo. I really enjoyed this. And I think you did great for your third podcast now, bro. I think it is. Yeah. I think it's my third one. Awesome, dude. Big, Big time now. Yeah, you're a big, big, yeah. big podcaster, bro. Big pimpin'. Dude, thank you for coming on, bro. I really appreciate you. Yeah. And I had a lot of fun. We'll do it again very soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. For sure, bro. Mm-hmm.